Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Value Line Observer by the Value Guys. I'm Val Hughes. And that would make me Vern Value. And we are 25-year Wall Street veterans who have had to go underground, take on secret identities in order to freely provide our candid, unvarnished views on a handful of stocks in each week's Value Line Investment Survey. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Visit our website for all our disclosures, www.thevalueguys.com. Uh, where you'll see photos of us and other uh, tidbits of information. We also have a Val's Best Picks there, which hasn't really been working out, although uh, for the last six weeks it's been doing a little better. Other than Friday, I guess, it's kind of a bad day. Friday was scary. It was a little bit. Yeah. Or was it Thursday? Had a holiday in there. I'm sorry, I don't Thursday. Know. Was it Thursday? Yeah. yeah. Thursday it was a little was, scary. Thursday was the scary But the day, nice thing about Friday that. Friday was ugly, too is the prices we're going to talk about are not the actual prices, and we're doing work off prices in print Monday. They may be lower. They may be even oh, better bargains than we're thinking about. Probably a lot lower, yeah. yeah. So uh, I'm going to be back at the back half of the show. Uh, we're doing, by the way, the September 5th, 2008 edition of the Value Line Investment Survey. We got a handful of ideas. Are uh, we? Vern and I, I think so. Oh. Are you looking at a different yeah, week? No, I, All right, I, let's I've get back on, date, on the page. Uh, I'll be back at the back half of the show to... Talk about three, I think, pretty good values. If you're still uh, around by then. I may be. I'm, I may be overly caffeinated this week. But, I may have uh, driven the listener away. Uh, you could have. No. Who knows? Anyway, C.B. Richard Ellis, which I've talked about before. It's gotten a little cheaper, real estate guy. Equifax, which I think has a, some type of franchise in uh, risk measurement software. And then something I Is don't Fair know about. It probably was. Yeah. But they're tainted. You know, their yeah. model. Did not work Tainted. properly. Well, you know, listen, it didn't work. And then finally, Teletech Holdings, uh, ticker TTEC. I don't know anything about it. But first, I thought I was going with first. a great deal of ado. Yes, oh, I'm introducing okay. you. A great deal of ado because we're uh, at Vern's cabin again this week. And so uh, let's just um, have a coffee toast <laughs> that? to that <laughs> and uh, take it take take mm. it from there. Vern Value. I'm excited. Excited to hear your Are ideas. You? Oh, I'll try to what amp it up a little bit. What might you have to talk about this week? I can't <laughs> well, wait to uh, hear. first, uh, continuing my fine tradition of picking stocks either by because they have a cool name or a cool stock symbol. That's bogus. I'm. I, I've discovered Come a company on, called Maximus Inc. Be a value guy. We get email <laughs> on this. Maximus, Maximus. Inc. Uh, What's actually, that, the best I'm, stock of all time. It's the statistically cheapest stock that I'm going to talk oh, about this okay. week. Cool. Um, symbol is MMS. Like M and M's, never heard of the company before. Provider of program management to state and local governments in the United States. So it's purely a U.S. play. Ed, so Maximus whatever. symbol okay. MMS supplies program management services to U.S. government entities, state and local. Uh, consulting thirteen percent. Sistein, I'm sorry, systems nineteen percent. Designs and implements software. Uh, and operations, 68%, provides administrative services for health and human services programs. Um, I think this, I, this, you know, one of the themes here is that this is leverage to uh, a larger Democratic majority in Congress and potentially in the White House on the back of expansion of government programs of health care, of management of uh, health and human service programs. Yeah. Right? Um, and, it's, and it's pretty cheap. Um, the multiple at 13 times, I mean, the PE at 13, well, I should start at, uh, with the stock price, 36, and as you pointed out, probably lower now. 
It was about 13.3 times. Um, looks like record earnings per share. Okay, so I'm sure some cyclical peak priced into uh, into the stock here. A discount to the market, a little bit of yield, um, and a balance sheet with almost 200 million of cash and no debt, hmm. with less than 20 million shares outstanding. So I can take $10 off the $36 price. I have a $26 stock net of the cash position, or about five times cash flow in 09, gross cash flow. They've been buying stock back because the valuation metrics are out of whack with historical norms. I, you know, could the performance soften up a bit here? I, I guess, but they went through a period of, they went through some kind of transition in 06 and 07 when um, operating margin plunged from 12% to 3.5, doubled to 7 in 07, up to almost 12 expected in 08. So there's been something that's happened here. There was some divestiture of non-core units, value line mentions. I don't know, uh, you know what kind of non-core businesses, et cetera, but presumably some that were creating the losses. Um, and then there's some discussion of a big pipeline of new business. Um, hard to assess what it means. It's a company with $750 million of revenue, a $275 million year-to-year increase in signed contract wins. But I don't know if that's an annualized revenue run rate or, or what it is. Um, nevertheless, I, even, even though, as Value Line points out, there's pressure on state and local uh, budgets, um, in the longer term, it looks like uh, this is a business that should be gaining share of overall GDP. I'm glad to see Royce and Associates were almost 8% at the beginning of the year. Well, we agree. Um, stock traded uh, to 48 last year. Uh, like I mentioned, probably under 36 here. Value Line's looking for better than 17% cash flow and earnings growth in their sort of intermediate are you really into this one, Bern? Yeah, I like this a lot. Yeah, well, it's five it. times EBITDA. I do have it's... a price, by the way, an update. Thirty-six twenty-three was. The oh, close. so this one's actually yeah. up a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. Maybe so they maybe a great, second. maybe a great name to own in a tough, uh, in a tough market environment. A uh, lot of insider buying in this name uh, last fall. Maybe around the time the stock uh, broke from you know the high forties. To uh, to the high 30s. Uh, so anyway, take a look at Maximus MMS. So that this one is five times enterprise value to EBITDA because of the big cash. What are you using position. for EBITDA? Their operating margin times their sales. Uh, yes, they, what Value Line says is operating margin. I right? see. You know, we have a lot of people asking us to define some of these terms. So. Uh, what EBITDA is, earnings before interest taxes, Well, there's also that whole thing about, you know, we think Value Line, their particular approach to operating margin definition is to be uh, before it's a, depreciation. It's supposed to be a cash operating right. margin. Right, whereas GAAP Which for valuation after. purposes yeah. and many well, arguably is a better number. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we do. Yeah, so, so you know, just so people know. So this one's five times. And then the next one I'm looking at is about six times on the same basis. This is Cracker Barrel or CBRL group symbol, you'll never guess. CBRL. Hey, I've got a price update for you. Okay, what's this one? 2784. Oh my close. god, you're yeah, kidding. No. Wow. Are you sure? That's up three bucks from the value line price. So wait a minute, did I I've been a little bit on holiday. I wonder if there's Thursday uh, was a, a bad mistake. day, but I think you know those first two days of the week were strong. So yeah, but that's what made Friday so hmm. discouraging is there wasn't really it any pulled all back. You know, they must have had a positive earnings report. You know, we did a little less work than we'd like to do this weekend. 
Uh, well, what do you have on this going one? On. What do you have on this one? Well, I'm getting BRS. through ads. I can only do so many at a time. Okay. I'm giving right. you one at a time, Vern. Well, I'm going to I'm going to ignore the price you, you just gave me. I have to do the, I have to do the redo price. all the math. You're, wait a minute. You're going to offer listeners <laughs> a value, but based on a price that they can't actually. Well, get look, the I'll stock tell you the story, and you decide on. whether it's still attractive. Oh my Three dollars higher. You know. You know. How can the stock be up this much? listeners that when the market fell apart. That's all I want to say. pegged. I don't. What do you mean? What do I mean, Peg? I mean, are you done interrupting me? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> was I? Go on, please. Um, this stock at twenty four fifty was eight times earnings. Okay, so at three three dollars higher, it's more like uh, nine and a half instead of the eight point four that's showing. So nine and a half to ten. Yeah. Um, historical track record here is average PEs are, I don't know, thirteen to fifteen. Since the last recession, um, decade before that, they were higher, of course, when it was an earlier part of its uh, growth um, period in its life cycle. But uh, at the 8.4, a 55% discount to market, um, you know, at 9.5 and with the market down, it's probably closer to a, instead of a 45% discount, maybe it's a 30 or 35% I own this discount. I this one at A lot of yield here, 2.9% at the 24.50 level. Uh, with the stock down around 50% from a high before. And the story here is pretty simple. I mean, it's a restaurant, so you depend on consumer spending. And to make things worse, 85% of their locations are along interstate, interstate highways. Right. And so, this was but, a great post-9-11 name because people stayed home and they were driving and they were well, near but the, the other highway. Thing that you get, now, you know, the other thing opposite. that you get, though, is that uh, uh, this becomes maybe the closest um, – chain of any kind for a lot of uh, the rural countryside. Well, if you live near an interstate uh, exchange, yeah. yeah. Well, well that's, I guess that is where people live. Yeah, you know, it's hard not to. Um, mm. So I, it, it, at some point, you anniversary, I, and my, my theme here is that I'll anniversary gas prices and consumer behavior, and when that happens, then the news becomes incrementally also better. Also real estate forward. for them, you know, I think they may... I owned this a few years well, ago. Well, they have a great concept. Their uh, real estate value may be going down if, right now. That's all. Why? Oh, because, because of where they're located. Because all real estate's yeah, going right, down. Right. Uh, most of their stores in the South and Midwest. I mean, generally, um, certainly Poor the South. Poorer areas, where, gas prices a bigger well, part and, of income. And where population is growing faster than it is on average. Got to cut back on discretionary faster. So um, you'll have some time to wait on that. Yeah, you may be a little early here, but um, um, as Value Line points out, you know, same-store sales are returned to positive territory before too long. They apparently have made some fairly aggressive changes in uh, menu, kitchen layout. Excuse me. Uh, they've launched, they're doing some national advertising. They've raised some prices, et cetera. So, I mean, on the one hand, uh, in the restaurant business, it's never a terribly good sign when people are uh, revising their menu. I mean, it kind of smacks of desperation a little bit. But these are difficult times, and I think in, in this case, you're talking about a publicly traded company wait, wait that's responding rapidly to the changing Maybe environment. Maybe it's max with, of innovation. Right, could be. Not sure. desperation. Right. Um, and the valuation, as I, as I mentioned, I've got $550 million of equity market cap, according to Value Line. I've got about $800 million of total debt in, in the capital structure box. Um, I, I really don't have any cash to subtract from that to, to, uh, to count on, uh, to amount to anything. So we'll ignore that. And then I have annual, uh, uh, annual lease payments of $29 million. Um, capitalize that maybe by multiplying by six or seven times. So in round numbers, maybe I have $200 million of 
um, long-term obligations or present value of other long-term obligations to add to the debt and the equity. So a little over a billion and a half of total enterprise value, 1550. I have 550 plus 800 plus 200. Divide by 250 million, round number for uh, operating margin that's shown here. Actually, it's a little less than that. It's probably closer to 210. Um, so I'm really, I'm sorry about this. We're talking about closer to seven times wow. the EBITDA. But um, uh, a reasonable, uh, reasonable valuation for a high-quality uh, franchise that I don't think is getting tired in terms of what they offer the customer. They just have a, uh, call it a cyclical problem going on right now uh, with consumer spending declining cyclically, uh, some of the incremental pressure from gas prices, et cetera, and all that will eventually annualize. Um, eventually and for the long-term holder, you know, good place to get into Cracker Barrel. And the last name I have this week yes, sir. is something called Bristow Group that I've also never heard of. The symbol here is BRS. <laughs> Value line is just now, it, this is the first time they've covered it as well. Uh, they, charter, they, they charter helicopters to transport personnel to uh, offshore drilling rigs, platforms, and other installations. Hmm. Uh, U.S. Gulf of Mexico and North Sea and in most other per, uh, parts of the world, a fleet of 400 aircraft, uh, eight wow. financial institutions own 60% of well, the stock. Fuel's got to be killing them. Officers and directors, 12%. And, um, well, I, I, you know, I Maybe think not you, as bad as you thought a month ago. Well, right? I think you just pass that on because fuel is helping. <laughs> fuel prices are helping the customer for your product. So how is he going to resist the pass-through still have the higher a gap. fuel costs? still have a gap. I, you're just talking about a, a quarter maybe quarter, that right. lives, doesn't yeah. live up to expectations. Yeah, right. So uh, recently around $40, what would you find out for BRS? Uh, well, we've got a price update on yeah. BRS. Let me give that to you right now. Uh, where the heck did I put it? Thirty-seven seventy-four okay, closing I price. One, so that one's down. Farming. That one's yeah. on sale now. This one's down $2, under 38 Well, at 40 it was 13 times earnings, about a 15% discount to the market. And um, the issue for this company is that uh, they have uh, apparently been, I, I'll guess they've been more or less milking a, uh, uh, a fleet of smaller, older uh, aircraft, and they're turning it over and replacing it with larger aircraft that allow them to operate further offshore and in more difficult generally operating environments, which is where the industry is moving because it's drilling in deeper and deeper water further and further from shore. And so, consequently, you have a surge of CapEx going on right now. It looks like, according to Value Line, it'll go through 2009. They've been liquidating some of the existing fleet to help fund it. Um, the uh, value, the uh, I'm sorry, the uh, um, capital structure here, around 40% debt to cap, looks like that's been fairly typical over its history. Um, so they're apparently managing it okay. Cash flow extremely robust right now. Uh, running around, what do you got, 30 times 150 to 200 million a year on uh, revenue of uh, a little over a billion dollars. Uh, and so I've got a cash flow multiple that was under eight times. at thir Under 38, it's even cheaper. Uh, return on capital is relatively low because I have this large fleet of uh, aircraft, but the, uh, the interesting thing about aircraft like this is that you'll write them off long before the end of their service yeah, life. you're probably depreciating so them over, what, 
eight years? Oh, seven or eight or something like 20 that. 20-year life. Yeah, so your return on capital is actually depressed, especially uh, artificially depressed, especially in periods of ramped-up investment like they're in right now. I have a billion two of equity market cap. I have about $200 million of net debt, total debt 734 but cash 527 um, I'm going to take that $1.4 billion of enterprise value, divide by a couple hundred million, which is about 20% of a billion two, which is what Value Line says this company is going to do in 08, about seven times. Uh, you know, with the <coughs> Cracker Barrel being up, you know, as much as it was, uh, and with the valuation where it is, I think now I like Bristow better, maybe even a little bit hmm. cheaper. Can I um, ask a question, Vern? Yeah, go and ahead. You did not know this name before looking at that value line. In my no, opinion. I didn't. Right. So, my God, you're uh, come a long way just from that one sheet. Yeah, I think so. I, but yeah. it's, I, it, wow. it seems pretty clear that hmm. earnings and uh, cash flow are going to be accelerating at Bristow over the next uh, two to three years as they complete this uh, uh, fleet renewal. What do you believe their yeah. core competitive advantages, if I can? Just ask a question. Uh, it's probably just uh, essentially first mover combined with the size of the capital uh, requirement to be a competitive mm-hmm. player. Mm-hmm. That's a barrier then. Well, they mm-hmm. uh, they they uh, sold fifty three small helicopters for. Um, oh no, it doesn't say how much they sold them for. I'm sorry, uh, but I mean helicopters they have are scale cost millions scale. of dollars. Right. They're very expensive. Okay. Sure. Uh, no so problem. Bristow, Maximus, CBR. And with that, I'm going to turn it over or turn it back to uh, the uh, elder member of the Thank team. Thank you. Not a lot older. And I don't know if I'd pass for older. Just want to point out to our listeners. I know on the on the site we look Go the to same. the website and take yeah, a look well, and tell me if listen. you don't think he looks a little older than me. <laughs> All right. I, well, I think it's pretty obvious. Let's have a, I think most listeners would let's agree. Let's have a coffee toast. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, mm. Why are they putting ice in this coffee? That makes no sense. Iced coffee, it's the latest thing. Anyway, I've got a couple of good ideas this week, and I'm going to try to be a little more succinct than my younger and less experienced uh, partner, (laughs) Vern. Um, And, of course, for your convenience, I go in page number order, which who knows why Vern doesn't. I don't. No, you went in random order, which (sighs) confuses everyone. But that's your style, what have you. Listen. I apologize. Okay. First up. C.B. Richard Ellis, ticker C.B.G., page 323. Are you done yet? No. Okay. <laughs> Do you need this chair? <laughs> no, no, your... go ahead. All right. Um, now, what's the, what's the story here? First, it's cheap. These guys, C.B. Richard Ellis, they're a global real estate services firm. I'm just reading what Value Line says here. They offer services to the owners, lenders, occupiers. I mean, basically anyone in the room that they can get their hands on, they're going to help out. And, uh, of course, they service a big portfolio that's uh, diversified internationally. Europe, Middle East, Africa, 22%, Asia, 9%, America's 61%, which includes some South America. So this is a bit of a play on the uh, ownership and management of global real estate. And, you know, uh, obviously you get an opportunity here to buy these stocks when there's not a lot of optimism, if I can just summarize the the feeling. Um, it's six times gross cash flow. They're going to put up about two fifteen a share in cash flow next year. Stock at thirteen thirty. Okay, that's just a little over six times. They put up seventy cents a share in capex. So I'm going to subtract capex from cash flow, and get some sort of buck thirty. What? What would that be? Buck forty five a share in f- some kind of free cash flow. Assuming I'm not going to subtract out 
you know, working capital changes. And that's about, uh, what, 10 times. So I can look at that as a 10% yield in a way. If I look at operating margins here, they've been pretty stable, 11%. That's probably, you know, high enough to earn some decent, you know, profits, but low enough to keep out a lot of competitors. It's been very stable for a long time. The returns on capital, uh, if you look back, it is volatile, and we're obviously we're in a volatile time now in terms of downside. They're earning, earning 8 now, 20 last year, so we're down, estimated 10 next year. They lever that a little bit so they're at 20% returns on equity, and in good years they can be about 50. Um, obviously, the stock is down, It was, and what attracts me specifically is this stock was at 42 bucks a share in 07, Clearly overpriced at that point on most metrics on, on a cash flow multiple. Now thirteen, have they changed? No. I mean, their their market share of management of real estate is unchanged. Uh, the perception about the value of their property is down, and the value of the long term contracts. But our view might be that the price reflects that uh, down. You know, seventy percent. Um, investment. Who, who do you mean? Our view. Who's the? I mean our me. Our in the sense of true value buyers, Vern. I don't mean to implicate you. You can jump in if you want. But our meaning, uh, I guess meaning me. I should say that. I'm sorry. Mm. I don't mean to lump mm. you in. Uh, let's see here. What have I got? You know, near term is weak, right? We know that. But even Value Line says international operations offer considerable promise. We're clearly going through some sort of downturn here, although I'd note that um, so far anyway, it's been more mild than some of the more severe recessions, and we'll get through it. Uh, the underlying theme here is that real estate maintains its value as a percentage of GDP. GDP is generally growing, and this particular firm is apt to gain share through, uh, you know, their involvement in faster-growing economies overseas. So C.B. Richard Ellis, uh, page 323. They don't have a ton of cash. Real estate guys never do a buck. Uh, they've got 65% debt to cap. I'd like that lower. It's six times covered, so that looks okay right now, uh, and I think you're probably pretty safe at that level. So uh, the only negative here, I don't like, they don't pay a dividend, but it looks like real cheap exposure to an undervalued worldwide real estate portfolio, so I like that. that CB was, Richard Ellis. That was interest you were talking about, yeah. coverage? Yeah, cover uh, on their interest, yeah. uh, which, you know, there was a big article uh, today in the paper yesterday about uh, this, uh, you know, Peter Stuyvesant development that um, Tish owns, I think, I can't recall, but that it's underwater even on interest. They can't cover this, their interest, so yeah, that's pretty scary. These guys are well covered, and I think it's a good play. Next up, Teletech Holdings, TTEC, page 340 in, uh, you know, Full disclosure, I don't own this, and even furthermore, never heard of it. And even beyond that, I have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm just looking at value line totally here. Totally nondescript yeah, name. I don't know what. What Tele attracted me, I'll, let me tell you what attracted me to this thing. It's cheap. It's cheap. It's Same seven times gross me. cash flow. Yeah, Vern originally was going to do this, but he was kind enough to let me do it because uh, I just printed three sheets off my computer, so we got to our, you know, to the cabin and... Uh, I could only do three, and he had four, so he gave one up to the team. That was this one. Um, they have no debt, which I like a lot. And what they do, my theme on this is it's a software company. Software increasingly is, you know, entrenched infrastructure, 
It's got a lot of upfront costs, so that's not good. But once you can entrench it in someone's operation, the switching cost, you know, just learning it for everybody, getting it going, the cost to learn a new system, if, you know, if you take a vote as to how many people want to switch systems so you can save a few bucks, everyone votes no because they're thinking of the hours they have to learn the new system. Nobody wants to do that. So uh, if you can stay in there and at least just even be equal in features and benefits to the, to the client as the competitor, you're going to keep that account, and then you can start looking at this stuff as an annuity. So they're clearly on the upswing here uh, in terms of their return on capital, their growth rates. Even Value Line says they're going to grow cash flow at 16%. And the industry they're involved in, and I'll just read what Value Line says, they provide front-end back-end customer relationship management solution. So that's CRM. That's for the sales force. That's so you can optimize your sales force you know, productivity. And having been involved in sales you know, organizations, I can just tell you that salesmen, they cling to their calling list, cling to their customer list. It's hard to get that stuff out of them. You want to know how many times they've talked to customer A this week or this month and how that feeds into the organization and all that. And salesmen have over the years been reluctant to give up that information because they feel it's their own secret knowledge and all that. But increasingly, the organization takes the view, well, we own that. We employ you. Those calls belong to us and to our information systems. And so companies are building giant lists of contacts and trying to optimize the hit rate on making a contact and having that turn into revenue. And frankly, that information is driving a lot of productivity gains well, in our economy. Well, and eventually economy. all businesses will have it. They will we'll all have it. it. These guys appear to be on an upswing. So I can look back to this uh, low. In 03, they had a 1% return on capital. This speaks to Vern's earlier comment. They were probably heavily investing at that point in new software, and software expense oftentimes the programmers get expense. So you're crushing your near-term earnings, but you're building something for the future that is already expensed. So your ROE starts to go up a lot. That's what's been happening for five or six years here. They have no debt. Uh, when I do the math on enterprise value to EBITDA, so to speak to some listeners who wonder about some of these definitions, enterprise value is simply market value of equity, plus debt. Now, ideally, market value of debt, and in some distressed companies that can matter. But, you know, for the purposes of what we're doing here, we can just take the balance sheet number. So in this case, I have a market cap. It's over on the left on value line, $1.1 billion. That's market price times shares. And then I'll add in the debt. There's virtually none here. It's a rounding error. And then for operating income on value line, which we think is EBITDA, I'm going to look over and take revenue times their operating margin, 14.5%. Uh, I don't have a calculator, ladies and gentlemen, so I'm just going to say 15%. So that's about 1, you know, 70 plus 80, 250 into 1,200. That's about five times EBITDA, and I might look at that as a yield in the sense that all of us listening to this show, which includes most all of us, but usually not Vern, doesn't often listen in. But if the rest of us pooled our money, we could buy this company for like a billion one. And the earnings off of it, including the interest to the debt holders, which no longer have to get paid because we've bought their debt. You didn't take the cash off <clears throat> of your enterprise value. Well, it's a little bit. That's true. Take well, the cash out. There's a more than $100 million there. I know. Okay. I so, mean, if you bought a car and had a suitcase in the back true. seat with $1,000 in it, then. Yeah, you know, you'd have to take only the cash that they don't need to sort of grease the business and all that. But you're yeah, right but, on that. If it was a big number, I'd subtract. But $100 million in cash. So the cash offsets the cash just offsets the debt. 
in this oh. one. Yeah, it's oh, 120 and oh. 78. You oh, know, oh, it's within 50 million. Oh, well, then, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, so in any case, I look at it's that as principle. a yield. Twenty percent. It's about you know 20 percent return cash on cash. Plus, you get the growth rate, which value line here says cash flow is going to grow at 16 percent, and that must you know suggest that this thing has some sort of growing franchise. Uh, officers and directors own 43%. That's usually a pretty hmm. good sign if they're going to be invested. Um, now, did I mention there was hair on this one, Vern? Yes. I don't no, know. you didn't. Okay. Well, uh, according to Value Line here, and I didn't look at this as carefully as I might have, so I just want to throw that out there, but um, one of the reasons the stock may be cheap, and in fact, recently, I guess, looking at the chart here, you might say plummeted. I mean, I wouldn't, but you might conclude that from the chart. Uh, they have uh, some questions about some delayed filings with the SEC, and I'd say increasingly these accounting investigations, they spook the market. Certainly some of them have, you know, uh, guys going to jail, let's face it. Um, but in this case, again, it's some question about whether SG&A should have been expensed, amortized, were revenues, you know, taken in this quarter or that quarter, and when you start looking at the actual impact, you know, this company has uh, $1.5 billion in revenue. So the only number on the page that I see here, excuse me, is uh, $16 million of incremental SG&A expense in the wrong quarter. Or no, I'm sorry, that's incremental legal. Uh, you know, it doesn't even say here, but it's going to be some percent of revenue that shouldn't have been you know, recorded due to these counting rules that change a lot. And so you can account for that by just subtracting that amount on a per share basis from the value. And that's the kind of thing, you know, that I would tend to do. It's certainly not an annuity. Once right. they stop doing it and they lose that, they always lose. It's gone. And you can still just get back to cash flows. So Teletech Holdings, TTEC, certainly read the 10Q on your own. But it looks like a pretty interesting story. Plus, you know that I thought it was attractive as well, which would make it a more compelling mm-hmm. uh, idea than most yeah, of others. I'm so sure, go right ahead now. I'm sure that's yeah. that's going to help the story go go over. Uh, and then finally, Equifax, ticker EFX, page 376, and I do give you that page number as a courtesy. Not everyone on the show does, but I do. Um, now, this stock closed Are you thir- talking about me? No. Oh, okay. No, why? why? Oh. You weren't even in the room. <laughs> You keep leaving. Please go ahead. Okay. Equifax, EFX, I'm sure I've talked about this before, but uh, one of the things that attracts me here is the valuation. It's about eight times gross cash flow. They have very little CapEx. Gross cash flow, according to Value Line in 09, 390. CapEx, 15 cents. That's per share. So that gets me to 375 in some kind of free cash flow. Stock at 34.88, that's less than 10 times. So I like that. Uh, Value Line thinks they might grow over on the left, 10, 11% a year. So I'm into some kind of, uh, you know, nearly 20% return, and that gets me interested. Return on capital for many years was in the 20s. Uh, in recent years, it's drifted, you know, into the lower upper, you know, or lower mid-teens. And the reason is, is that these guys are involved in uh, the software that drives global commerce. And that is everything from, you know, getting your credit card checked when you go buy something and you run your car through, they're involved. Uh, their software makes, you know, judgments about creditworthiness, things like that. Uh, and let me see here. 
you know, some of the stuff that uh, we were talking about earlier with Fair Isaacs, uh, the, actually the guys from Fair Isaacs that, that developed the FICO score, that's Fair Isaac something, CO, uh, came out of Equifax. So they're a software, you know, brainiac statistic firm that's trying to devise these models that will allow people to uh, invest in receivables that are apt to have good returns on the way out. And they've been a little bit discredited, just like Fair Isaac has. But I would say that the need for these sorts of models arising, that's become pretty clear in recent year, recent months, in the last year or two. And they have the biggest group of people that do this stuff. They're all professional. And the model that missed for them missed for everyone on the street, including the biggest investment banks out there. So they're not really holding the blame on their own. Everyone's got to improve their models, and they're out there with economies of scale, a sales force, and the Brainiac team, PhDs, and uh, statistics that are, are going to you know, give people confidence that they know how to put out a, a fair model, and they'll keep market share, I suspect, over time. And the need for this stuff is going to keep growing. It's selling at a pretty good uh, you know, return here in terms of uh, enterprise value to EBITDA. According to Value Line, um, they're in a difficult time, which, again, you know, we know. The stock traded at a peak of 46 last year. It's down around 34. And, uh, you know, I have to tell you, I don't know a lot about this one. Fidelity owns 13%. They have grown in part over the years through acquisition, and that might explain part of their higher ROI is that part of that value comes from, an, you know, an accretive deal. And deals have kind of gone away. So we might be back to some sort of co core return on capital now in the low teens. And frankly, that's a good number. They lever up a little bit uh, to put up, a, even in these difficult times, a 19 20% return on equity. That's admittedly down from 50s a few years ago, um, but still very respectable relative to most any company. Debt here, 45% debt to cap. Uh, let's see, interest coverage, 75 And unless things get worse, that's pretty comfortable. They do have a history of buying stock back over the years when things, you know, get attractive. They haven't been doing that lately. They put up a mid-30s operating margin, and as I've said on the show, that tells me something's very proprietary. People don't, because you can look at margin as a markup on cost, right? And so people don't just pay a huge premium to cost unless they don't know how to do this stuff themselves or unless the uh, seller has some type of toll gate uh, you know, monopoly or oligopoly on the product, which these guys do. So Equifax, EFX, page 376. And uh, I guess, Vern, uh, that's all I have this week. Uh, if I can lure you back into the room here. Um, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm talking about you being in the other just, room. I, I, I nodded off I know off you a want to portray bit. the fact I, that... I nodded off a little okay, bit. Okay, listen. I, you know, I apologize. No problem. What do you got going there? But I'm awake now. Yeah, I see that. What do you got? What are you working on? It's just there? a snack. Okay. Okay. All right. So let me tell you my favorite this week. It's got to be C.B. Richard Ellis because real estate, uh, I think, is just something you can count on. Anchor, real estate, the earth, that kind of thing, franchise. Okay. And I would say take a look at Maximus. All right. Okay. We'll Thanks, see you everybody. Week, folks.